Welcome, everyone, to the Hillary Ramos Show, Matters for Mind, Body, and Spirit Talk Radio, dedicated to inspiring the human spirit and raising the collective vibration one show at a time. Hi, I'm Hillary Ramos, and thank you for joining me this hour. I look forward to a journey filled with laughter, love, and light. I hope to travel with you every Thursday across the World Wide Web to bring connection into your life on all levels. I send each and every one of you love as we begin the journey together tonight. I have a very special guest joining me. We are doing our monthly power coaching call. We are taking calls. Phone lines are open, 530-876-3222. And welcome. Thank you. <laughs> it's good to be here. Well, I'm very happy you're back. We had a great show last month, and for everybody out there joining us now listening, we will be doing power coaching once a month. So Anne will be joining me here um, once a month, and you can find those dates right on my radio homepage. So, uh, Anne, I'm going to let you go ahead and, and tell me what the subject is tonight. What are we talking about with everybody? That sounds great. Well, we're talking about relationships, and relationships influence our lives in so many different ways. We all experience many types of relationships with significant others, with immediate family, extended family, friends, coworkers, our community, our neighborhoods. And our relationships have their own dynamics, and they influence our life in many ways. And it's important to look at those relationships and see, are they a positive aspect of your life, a negative aspect of your life? Are they draining your energy or feeding your energy? That's a good thing. And, you know, I I bet you there's not one person out there who can't relate to that on some level. In fact, many of my clients come to me for the same Reasons. Although we discussed this last month, I work more on a healing level, and you more, you know, the coaching and healing aspects mm-hmm. are very different. Um, so, where do we start when somebody's in a relationship and they have an issue and they just can't quite get around it? What would you recommend to them? I would recommend one of the things that I recommend people do when we're focusing on relationships is to take an inventory of your relationships, look at all the areas of your life. It may be work, it may be your family, where you have relationships, and make a list of the areas in your life and the and then underneath that the significant relationships in those areas. And start by labeling each one as either a mostly positive or a mostly negative relationship. And then look and say, are the majority of my relationships positive or are they negative? And it's a place to start. What one thing that does happen often in our relationships is that they, they just occur and we don't examine them that often and examine what effect they're having on us and on our lives. And value yourself. Value your time and value your own energy and your own happiness that you're going to surround yourself with relationships that nurture you. So if you have a question for us regarding relationships, phone lines are open, 530-876-3222. Me and Anne are here, Anne and I, I should say, are here to speak to you tonight about uh, any issues you would like some assistance with. You know, Anne, it's interesting because one of the most uh, sometimes not so obvious issues that we have with relationships are the subtle energetics that underline them. And uh, it's, it's interesting how the energy body works with these kinds of issues, too. And oftentimes we're communicating with somebody else energetically before we even open our mouths. Have you experienced that with your clients? I sure have. And one of the things that is very powerful in my work, a lot of my work revolves around career and relationships at work, is the power of observation. And when I have clients who are having problems with their coworkers, maybe a boss or a peer, and their relationships are having a negative impact on their work life, 
I'll ask them for the next week to just do some observation, and it's amazing how fruitful it is to do that. And through the observation, they look at body language, they look at energy. I think you really need to understand energy to be effective in relationships. But when they look at body language or they listen carefully to the words that people are saying, that observation can help them understand energy. And particularly at work and also in all of our other relationships, the way that I look at it, because a lot of my work is very oriented towards the surface of things, is that underneath that surface is a whole symphony of energy that's going on that people may not be outwardly recognizing, but that we have to understand to be able to move forward in our life. And when people come to you, Hillary, they're looking at that energy underneath, and it's very, very powerful. If you're just looking at the surface, you're not going to get where you want to get. I believe that very much. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because when people come to me, they usually already have an idea of what you mean by energy, what we mean by energy. And so what would your advice be for somebody who necessarily doesn't understand what you mean by energy but maybe comes from more of a, you know, mental, practical, uh, left-brain attitude towards relationships? How would you describe energy to somebody who doesn't work with it the way you and I work with it? That's a really good question. There's a very popular business book called Emotional Intelligence by Dan Goleman, and I look at emotions. I feel that's something that everybody can relate to, and I start with what are your emotions at work and what emotions do you experience from others because that immediately gets us into feelings and out of the mind because the mind isn't necessarily going to get you totally into energy. And I, I'm actually working with a client, a corporate client right now, and he has had some situations where he has had conflict, but there are positive aspects of conflict and negative aspects of conflict, and he has a lot of passion about his work. So he's reading the book Emotional Intelligence right now, and it's really helping because he's getting the opportunity to look at how his feelings impact his life and how his feelings impact others. So I would say emotional intelligence, and basically what emotional intelligence is, it's not your IQ, it's your ability to understand people and to relate with people in a positive way. And that doesn't mean that you're just nice to everyone. That means that you know how to communicate your own feelings, you know how to deal with conflict and difficult situations. So I think I'd start with emotions. Yeah, that's a good, that's great because it, it isn't just about being nice to everybody. It's not about just walking around and, and playing an even keel with your emotions. And emotions are actual energy. In fact, if you could measure that with an instrument, you would actually be able to see it. It's much like, you know, these new instruments that come out and measure the energy in rooms when you're looking for paranormal uh, evidence in homes and of sorts of like that. But you know, it's interesting because I think a lot of people can wrap their minds around what that means, that emotional energy, the, the emotional output that we as human beings put out on a regular basis constantly. You know, when you walk into a room and somebody is upset, you can feel it almost instantly. Most people can. Or if somebody's angry, you can feel that energy, so to speak, across the room where you just know when somebody's in a bad mood. So that's pretty much what we mean by that, don't you think? Yes, I agree, and that's a really good point. And in my experience, I find that when people are taking this journey to understand energy, sometimes they're just not focused on that. They they feel that anger in a room, but they may not be conscious of the fact that they're feeling that anger, and they may have an immediate emotional reaction to that 
that they're not cognizant of, and it may or may not get them in trouble. Whereas if they can become conscious of their emotions, that's what emotional intelligence is about, then they can start seeing those things and acting accordingly. We're speaking with Anne Venino, author of Leadership on Trial, Lessons from the Apprentice. For more information about Anne's work or to schedule a private session with Anne, you can visit her website, movingforward.net. You know, Anne, it's interesting. Um, this is one of my favorite topics, and I could talk about this for many, many hours, and I'm sure my producers would love it. <laughs> um, one of the things that I, you know, I, I tried, when I first started explaining energy to people, when, you know, I teach uh, many things. I teach a lot of different uh, modalities of healing, but when I'm teaching Reiki, for instance, and I'm teaching somebody to feel energy and to discern the different levels. That, you know, when I'm talking in classroom and I'm sitting there explaining it to they they always have this look on my face like, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then when we go down and we do uh, table time, I call it partner time, when they're actually using their hands to sense the, the heat change, the the vibration, the energy, so to speak, when they can actually feel it, they begin to become very aware of it. And, you know, unfortunately, we're creatures that have to have some kind of proof, tangible, something we can touch. Um, and, you know, of course, we can't walk around our, our workplaces putting our hands on people to feel their energy. That's right. <laughs> but what a, wonder- a lot of trouble. <laughs> what a wonderful level. That's right. What a wonderful level to work at because if someone went to your workshop and then came back to their workplace and they knew that they may not be able to put their hands on someone, <laughs> they still would be so much more sensitive. Right, which brings brings up another uh, topic, too. I think we should touch base on at some point because there are certain people out there who are very, very in tune and very sensitive to energy. And and there are some people who may not think that they are. I believe everybody can become sensitive to energy. It's just about... It's about doing a lot of work on different levels. However, there are people who are naturally born and just have their their chakras are right open. They They can sense energy. They can walk into a room... It's almost like kids, you know, they always hear that, you know, kids are more sensitive to these kinds of things, but there are some adults who carry that sensitivity into their lives. And, you know, how do they express that? How do they deal with that sensitivity? That's one of the things I've been working on now in my practice is working with with explaining that, what that is to people, and understanding, helping to facilitate the understanding that, Uh, being sensitive to energy is normal and it's not something weird or wrong or something that is is just necessarily that needs to go away. We actually want to encourage that kind of opening and bring consciousness to it so that when you when you are in different situations, whether they're personal or work related or whatever, and even moving out to do what you're supposed to be doing with your life, right to power those kinds of things, it's always a valuable skill. It's something that you can learn to manage, so to speak, or to maybe ground. It has to be very grounded. How would you teach somebody in your coaching practice? I know how I do it from a healer perspective, but how would you teach somebody about grounding in relationships? One thing that that I use in very often, and we've spoken about this before, and I know that you use it as well, is I use the medicine wheel analogy. I might not always call it that, but that the north is inspiration, faith, spirituality, the south is physical, the east is mental, and the west is emotional. I have found that an incredible tool. And as I said, a lot of my work is very much on the physical level with people that are out in the world, a lot of them in the workplace. And people can relate to that. And I will just, I will start and I'll say to them, all right, let's 
let's look at this relationship. What's happening in the self on a physical level? And what happens is it pulls them out of the emotional or the mental aspect of the relationship where often relationships lie on that medicine wheel. We both know that many organizations and relationships get caught between the mind and the emotions. And when I pull them down and say, let's look at physically what's going on here, they may say, well, I've got a, God forbid, but they may say, I've got an abusive relationship. There's a physical aspect to this that is a real problem. And it, it in a way, compels them to look at what's physically happening in that relationship. And I find that just that process will ground someone. And from what I find about what they say in the South, I'll start talking about those things. And I, I'd be very interested in what how you work with people on that. I think it's interesting because when, I, when, you, when you talk about that concept, and I, I am familiar with working with that tool, and I do teach that too, but it's, uh, for somebody who may not be familiar with it, it's kind of like when two people argue, they're arguing about what they, they think about, how, you know, how, what they feel, how they feel about what they th- that other person thinks, or right. you know, vice versa, or what they think about how they feel, and they get caught in the back and forth of the emotions and the mental, and it had kind of ping pongs back and forth, ping pongs back and forth. We're always looking for somebody to love us and to make us feel whole and to bring change, and and then we get into the mental mindsets of the relationships, and it, you know whether two people are on the same page mentally or think the same way or have the same mindsets about whatever. And very often, when they come down into the physical aspects, the, the south direction. Um, it's to, you know, for sexual relationships or, you know, for physical money, you know, running a household, if they have a business together, something of that sort, and they don't ever go to the top. They stay in this ping-pong, you know, feelings and thinking. They maybe meet down at the bottom for here or there or what has to be taken. Kids, if they had ch- they have children that they're raising, that, of course, it, it stems in, the, in that direction as well. But I think what's very important is that people don't forget to go up to the north, so to speak, and make sure that they bring the inspiration, the spirit. If you don't have spirit in something, it's not alive. That's brilliant. That's absolutely true. And if you don't bring that north in, which which often doesn't happen, then you're you're not going to come to solution. What I find is that the South is a gateway to get people focusing on those things, but you're absolutely right. It's got to go up North to that axis of manifestation of here's what I'm doing in the physical and being able to pull strength and whatever else you need for what you're dealing with in the physical world. I think a lot of couples, for a lot of families even too, I mean, you could even put that on a dynamic with a family you know, if you have a family of four and you're dealing with, you know, children and, and them as, as individuals within this network as well, and you go back and forth between the emotions and thinking, you know, we think about the practical stuff as far as school, homework, um, you know, braces, you know, all of the, the fabulous landmarks of raising kids. And, and if the whole family stays in that dynamic, what ends up happening when they all grow up, so to speak, or they go through the teenage years and, and everything becomes discombobulated on, on many levels, if you're not breathing some kind of breath, some kind of spirit, if you're not focusing on inspiring your family, your relationship, then it all kinds of, it kind of crumbles. You really can't build anything in this world without spirit. And what do I mean by that? That, that would probably be 
difficult for some people to understand. Many people will understand what I mean by that, but then there are other people out there who may not understand, well, how do I bring spirit into a family dynamic or how do I bring spirit into my relationship with my 16-year-old? How do I bring spirit into my relationship with my partner or my spouse? That's a great question, and it really depends on what spirit means to you. And I think personally it's really all paths are valid and whatever it is that inspires you you know, may not inspire your partner. So if you go out and you try to bring some inspiration and you buy tickets to the opera, but your partner or your spouse has no interest in going to the opera, then it's really, how do you, how would, what would you say to that, Anne, at that point? How, how would you teach someone or coach someone through finding inspiration that feeds both of you? Boy, that's a good one. I would, I would, as I said, a lot of my, a lot of my work is around work relationships. But if I was dealing with a husband and wife, I, one thing that would interest me, and, and probably you're going to have more things to say than I would on that, I would, I would ask them why they bought the ticket if they knew that their spouse was not interested in going. I would want to find the reason that they didn't have anybody to go to, that they had an expectation that their spouse should do it with them. Or I would, and I, and then I would say, is that, how important is that to you? And if it was very important, I suggest that they speak to their spouse about that. If it was something where they kind of just didn't think about it, I'd say, well, could you do it alone? Or is there a friend that you could do it with? Because one thing that we both know, particularly in family relationships, is that we can't expect to change people. And bringing our expectations about them into a relationship can sometimes cause problems, whereas bringing our whole self into a relationship and our own wants and needs and being able to express them coming from our own truth is a a very productive way to deal with relationships. So we want to know what you think, guys. Give us a call, 530-876-3222. Let's talk relationships. If you've got any advice for us or you'd like to comment on anything Ann and I have been talking about, we are absolutely open to your comments, questions, ahas, and stories. What's <laughs> um, it, it interesting, you were talking about expectations, and I think that's a really important thing to go into for a few minutes because one of the biggest things I've seen with couples or people that I work with is this expectation, this expectation of taking care of me or you, you know, buying those opera tickets and assuming or hoping even perhaps that the other person is going to be so excited about taking you to the opera. And it may set up a dynamic that, believe it or not, you may be setting yourself up for some kind of sabotage or addiction that may go a little bit deeper energetically where it actually feeds a wound of yours that somehow says you're not worthy of love. Wow. I think. That's what I've experienced anyway, because what happens when people, you know, if somebody says, well, I have tickets to this and and come with me, and you know, I mean, you were right, most people know their person, you know, the person they're married to or the person they're, you know, calling to ask to go well enough that if they're not interested in something like that, then they're kind of setting themselves up, I think. Um, Or if that person has made it clear that they're not interested in doing those specific activities, it, it is about finding something that feeds both of you. It's not just about bringing to the table constantly opera tickets if you know your partner is not interested in opera. And what happens when you constantly do that is you're constantly setting yourself up for rejection. 
So you have to ask yourself, is there an addiction to being rejected? Have you experienced rejection in your life at at many levels? Have you opened yourself up to love, per se, and had yourself been, you know, have you been rejected over and over in your lifetime? Is it an open wound or festering? And we very often unconsciously feed these things. And this is a way to feed that. Those wounds that are not healed within us have huge appetites. And they sit there and they constantly need to feed energetically. And, of course, we're going a little bit off topic with what we were talking about coaching. But it's, it's relevant because when somebody comes to experience a healing modality or a session or have coaching, you know, these are the very, these are the very core issues that very often come up no matter how or which modality you choose to, to participate in. But these are very often the issues. That's what I have found anyway. What do you think, Anne? Yes, and that, that type of discussion of what are your expectations and leads to a question that I find is very powerful of what are you getting from this behavior? It's a, it's kind of an interim step. What are you, what are you getting from doing this? I was working with a client recently who had a tendency to worry. And I said to him, what do you get from this worry? And, and a light bulb went on. Oh my goodness. And even in emotional intelligence, they talk about worry being something that provides a mask from dealing with something you have to deal with, that you can focus on the worry and then you don't have to deal head-on with whatever it is that you're worrying about. And you can keep your mind going and going and going and things don't get solved. But I, I definitely I definitely agree with you. And so I will often ask, how is this feeding you? And they'll sometimes initially a client will say, it's not feeding me, I hate this. And I'll, I'll say, well, there must be a reason why you're continuing with this behavior let's take a look and if they're courageous enough within the coaching they'll take a look at that and we we have some wonderful gateways and insights that can come out of that yes we do and we've seen it (laughs) right i have you know we could look at one of the emails that we received if you'd like to sure about we got an email from jean and she said i am involved in a friendship that is very draining I have a friend who calls each night and goes on and on about her problems. I care about her, but I do not have the time to listen. I am trying to find a way to speak with her about this. Do you have any suggestions? Great question. Go ahead. Oh, you want me to go at it? Okay, I'll go at it, and then you go ahead. You go after me because I'd love to hear your thoughts sure, as well. Yeah. What I was thinking about when I read this was that you start with your own truth. Again, in in a tangential way, it's related to our expectations, that we can only control our own behavior and we start with ourselves. And my recommendation would be to start with what what your own truth is, Jean, about this. What's really going on? We, We know that you care from your email. We also know that you don't have time. Make it about you and not about her. Stay away from any judgment or criticism. Perhaps you could say something... You could sometimes you can avoid the issue a little bit by saying, "I'm really sorry, I have to go and do something else," and people will get the message, even though it's subtle. But if you do have to address her directly, you could just say, "You know, I care about you, and I want to listen to a certain extent, but I find that this is draining my energy. Maybe be honest about it right now." Mm-hmm. And if she does not respond to you, then evaluate. The relationship, again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, is it draining you or supporting you? And unfortunately, sometimes we may have to let go of relationships 
because there's there's not a lot of time in our lives and there's a lot that we all want to do. But you take that evaluation slowly. Yeah, that's great. You know, I my first thought, Jean, when I was listening to your email, there's something about your friend's conversation that's feeding something that you are experiencing at this particular time in your life and it feels like it has to do with something that has to do with you. It's mirroring something to you. If you're finding yourself getting aggravated or upset about this particular friend calling and just talking about her, you have to ask yourself what it mirrors to you. Is it what she's talking about that upsets you or is it the, is it the fact that she's voicing her own truth and she's able to be heard? I would say ask yourself if, if you're feeling heard in your relationships, if you're, feeling, uh, if you're feeling like somebody's listening to you, because very often times when people find that frustration with a partner or friend that you know, is, is, seems to be going on and on and on, that person isn't being heard. And so there's some kind of dynamic either in that particular friendship or perhaps in other relationships, really, where they're not feeling heard, they're not feeling understood. That's a big wound for people. That's a big one. And I think when we, the anger starts to surface, usually underneath anger is sadness. And there's something about the energy that you're experiencing that perhaps triggers a wound for you, and it may be something totally unrelated. So if you find yourself in a situation, and what Anne said is great, because if it is draining and you no longer are drawn, because there's something about the energy of that particular friend that is drawn to you, so if, if there's some kind of drama, and you know, gossip drama, you know, negativity, somebody calls and is just bashing somebody else, that's a really low vibrational energy. And remember, like attracts like. So there's something about perhaps your energy that's drawing in negative experiences or, or you know, that kind of energy because that kind of energy can't exist if your vibration is higher. If you, somebody calls you with that kind of negativity, uh, perhaps I'm assuming the conversations may be negative or self-centered, or, or just really, uh, however they're being. Uh, I'd have to know a little bit more. Um, <clears throat> if you redirect the conversation, you know, point out the positive, you know, really just kind of cut to the facts and keep it simple and not get drawn into the drama. You may be very well being asked by spirit not to be drawn into the drama of this particular friend's life. Um, so there's something there for you to learn because if there wasn't, it wouldn't be attracted to your life situation at this time. And I think our answers, Hillary, are beautifully illustrative of the, of the differences between coaching and, and healing. I jumped right into the action of find your own truth and how you're going to, how Jean would communicate with that person and you went right to that mirror. I think that is so powerful. I find sometimes in coaching that some of my clients are not willing to go to that place, but it is really necessary to find peace in your life to find that place. But I also find that if I can work with them on a certain level, that it starts a journey for them of understanding people and relationships better, and eventually they can get there. If you can smooth out your relationships within your family or with your work, that is such a good beginning because it always involves knowing yourself. I would say ask yourself, the serious question of what do you want. You have to ask yourself this question on a regular basis. It's almost like a mantra. You have to wake up in the morning and say, what do you want? And you have to know where you're headed, and you have to be very clear. And I think I've said this many times, but if you're indecisive about what you want, the universe cannot give you what you want. 
In fact, it, well, I take that back. It does give you what you want. It gives you indecision everywhere. There's no movement. You kind of swirl around in a little eddy, and you don't go forward. You just stay where you are because you're being indecisive. It's a powerful act to say, this is what I want, and this is what I'm going to do. And then when you move out, the action part, when you move out into that, with that agenda, with that uh, intention, then the things that need to come to you are drawn to you, and the situations that you know you need to have in your life will come to you. But also, you'll be tested. You know, power loves power, universe, whatever you want to call it, spirit, God, you know, test you, but not in the sense of pass or fail. That's something somebody taught me many, many years ago, and uh, it's not about passing or failing. It's just about what are you learning? What is it? It's trying to help you. It's trying to heal something within you. And then, and then again, I go into where my natural <laughs> migration is into the healing aspect. But really, if you can look at all opportunities in your life as an opportunity for healing, as an opportunity to look and see what does this situation present to me? What, what's here? It may not be fun to look at. It may not be, you know, something that makes you feel good initially. But however, eventually, once you get through those initial steps of taking a look at it, it's kind of like taking a magnifying glass and turning it in on yourself and saying, what do I need here? What do I need to learn about myself in order to move past this particular place? And uh, sometimes it's dramatic and sometimes it's not. Maybe you just need to, be re- you need to reaffirm to yourself that you're ready for change, that you're ready to move out. Perhaps you want to attract a new relationship to your life. Well, how do you do that if you don't know what kind of relationship you want? And if you're used to a certain kind of relationship and you haven't really looked at that about yourself, you're going to attract the same kind of relationship to you that you always have attracted to you. Perhaps the person, you know, is unavailable or perhaps the person is abusive or whatever kind of pattern you've always attracted to your life. That's what's going to continue to happen until you make a choice about what you want. That's one of the biggest things, and I'm sure you've found that in your coaching practice as well, whether you're, you're dealing with healing or coaching or both, it, it's about making a choice as to what you want. You can't move forward if you don't know where your foot's going to land, where you're going to step, and what direction you're going to go. Um, so, Anne, how would, how would you recommend somebody do that in a coaching situation? In taking a step forward? Mm-hmm. We've, got, we've actually got an email about that, which I can read from Karen, right. and then yeah, I'll right. give you my book. This is from Karen. I am feeling stuck in my life. I am not happy in my job. I do not have a relationship. I want to change things, but I do not know how to start. I am wondering if I am afraid of change. Do you have any ideas how I can get started? And what I would recommend, Karen, is to start with small steps, just some kind of movement in Coaching action fuels the coaching, even if it's something very small, even if it's something unrelated to a relationship or your job, if you paint your bathroom or, or you clean up a room. And another important aspect of this for me is getting comfortable as best you can with the unknown because when you're talking about change, you're talking about the unknown. You can't jump off the cliff and know exactly where you're going to land. You sometimes can't see where you're going to go. And I think a lot of our society is set up to protect us from the unknown, and that's a great disservice to us because what we've got to do is in the hero's journey in mythology and in the movies that we see like Star Wars, 
the hero's journey, the hero goes through a long period of the unknown and has to find their own way, and that's how they find their power. So to Karen, I would say start with some small steps. Start identifying something that you can do and take your focus off what you're unhappy with and go to what you were saying, Hillary, start identifying, start daydreaming, start being very concrete about what you want to bring into your life. That is so not what we're taught. That's right. (laughs) We're not taught to daydream what we want, to pull in what we want. We're told not to daydream and be very, very here, solid in in, uh, our physical lives. And, Karen, what I would say to you is start feeling like you are in a good relationship and begin to change your thoughts and and take a look at what what you're no longer what no longer serves you and just step out of that and you know one of the things I teach manifestation and I've written about it for years and one of the things I, I teach people specifically about manifesting is you have to feel it you have to feel it we all know what we don't want in our life in fact we talk about that constantly I don't want this I don't want this kind of person I don't want this kind of person who does this for a living I don't want this kind of person who doesn't make X amount of dollars, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want somebody who likes sports, whatever it is. But the universe says, okay, but what do you want? And very often that's a difficult question for people to ask. So the first thing I would say is to, again, ask yourself, what do you want? And then as Anne Anne said, take those small steps towards achieving that, but also remember to match the feeling of that. Match the feeling. What would it feel like to be in a perfectly, well, there's no such thing as a perfect relationship, but what would it be, how would it feel to be in a warm, loving, nurturing relationship? And if that's a foreign concept to you, you have to go back and take a look at why. And again, you're being asked to go back into a little deeper, you know, there's something to heal there, there's something to go into a little more as much as you're comfortable but imagine as much as you can what it feels like to be in a, a loving, nurturing, spirit-feeding relationship with somebody who understands you at very deep level. That's really hard to find nowadays. I have to say that there's been a lot of, I, I've been reading a lot of articles and, and doing a lot of reading about soulmates and how it's so hard to find soulmates now because of all the technology that's available to us, you know, all of the online dating and you know, we can Google somebody's name and know more about them than, than before we've even had a conversation, before we can even hear their voice. One of the things that I'm working on right now is working with people who can dissolve the veils between them and remember each other from past lives. And it's really interesting because if you could imagine that you meet somebody and you remember them from a past life, and it's real. And it's something that's tangible, and you can really remember that. Imagine if none of these fails existed and we knew the people, uh, who they were when we ran into them or when we saw them. We knew what our contracts were. There'd be no fun in it <laughs> because everything would kind of be laid out for us. However, you know, it's real, we're really here to learn and we're here to, to experience our intuition. We're here to develop our intuition. We're here to to listen to our dreams. We're here to experience the physical realm and all that that means. And it means a lot. So when you have a relationship, I would say the first thing to do, Karen, also, is when you're looking for somebody in your life, you know, listen to their voice. Make contact with them. 
You know, guys, the emails are great, but they're like little mini personal statements. And the little mini personal statements go out into the Internet dream world and land in somebody's inbox and they open them up. And it's really a way of communicating where we can say whatever we want without being interrupted. And I've seen it more and more where people communicate by text message or email instead of picking up the phone and saying, hi, here's my voice. And your voice is something that carries your, everything that you are. You can hear so much in somebody's voice. You can hear their insecurities, their weaknesses. You can hear their passion, their joy, their love. Um, if you really want to know somebody, you really have to pick the phone up and call them or, or spend time with them in person. I know I'm kind of going off topic here, but um, I think that's really important. And if you know that the person that you're with isn't the right person anymore, then you, you really need to ask for what you want. And letting go of a relationship that doesn't serve you anymore is not always the easiest thing, but you have to stay strong, and it takes great courage. That was a great question. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Karen. <laughs> you know, one thing you said, Hillary, sparked me, what you said about the veils, and that it would be great if we could see everyone's contract and see them in their, their true nature. And one of the areas, as you know, that's very much of interest to me is how you manage your relationships at work, your relationships obviously have a significant impact on your success or lack of it at work. And at work, many things are hidden just because we have those veils. And people have their own agendas or they're afraid to show their true self. And relationships at work are very complicated. And one thing that I've been looking at in the last several years as I work with clients on workplace issues is that many times workplaces replicate our family dynamics and press the buttons that we really have to deal with to remove those veils, that if we perhaps had a controlling parent, we might find ourselves with a very controlling boss, that it's just another place for us to work on those issues and we don't always see it as that. Absolutely, and they manifest in very interesting ways. If you're walking around your life and you realize that something's going on, you know, you have angry people all around you, and angry mirrors are popping up all over the place, work, in your personal life, perhaps with your, in your family life. I mean, however it is, even driving down the street, for God's sake, now, I mean, you have angry people all over the place. You have to ask yourself what you're angry about because, again, it's all, it's all inside of us, and everything that we experience is projected outside of us into our reality, and a lot of times that's very hard for people to, to understand. Not so much anymore that's changing dramatically, is people realize that what we experience in the physical world is, is a mirror of what we experience on the inner world. And if we can really live our lives by that, there's a tremendous amount of change and potential that becomes available to somebody once they make that connection that it's not always about everybody else. You know, if you're bumping up, I'll give you a perfect example. I was working with someone recently who, you know, very unhappy with their spouse, very unhappy with their work situation, Everybody was wrong. It was always everybody else, and it was just this was just how his life was was manifesting. And uh, it wasn't that. It wasn't that. It turned out when we had a conversation, and we were talking, and I was asking him questions in a healing setting. I mean, it was a session setting. Uh, it became very clear that he was very angry about a very specific topic. And once that energy is expressed, it seems to disperse. What happens is it disperses around us, and we. And, and our dream changes because what we're daydreaming, consciously or unconsciously, is always manifesting around us, constantly. We're constantly dreaming. People say that all the time. I don't dream. I don't dream at night. I don't, you know, I don't daydream. I was, 
you know, I, I'm just very, you know, one, two, three. Yes, you are. You're, you're dreaming what your reality is the minute you realize that. And it's always happening constantly. How do you deal with dreaming and coaching? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> sometimes I have clients. I don't, I don't deal with it in a, in a deep way. But sometimes I have clients call me up and say, I had an incredible dream last night. And I, gr- I perk right up at that. Especially if someone is a real dreamer, but even if they're not, if they're, if they're, if they don't interpret their dreams, I grab on what the elements of that dream was, and we, we go for it. But I always validate dreaming. Always. Yeah. And, and what I do is usually ask questions. I say, yep. well, what do you think that was about? Or how would you look at that situation in your dream? Do you think it was really like out in left field, or do you think it had something that, to tell you? This was not particularly deep, but I had an interesting situation actually with a friend who had asked me to be a reference, and the person was keeping it very, very quiet that they were looking for another job. And we were at an event, and the person came up to me and said that a business colleague not a close friend had come up and had a dream about the exact situation this person was in. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really interesting. We both know the power of dreams. But if a client comes to me and said, I have a dream, my attention goes into high radar and I just start talking about it right away at the level that my client can deal with it. I think everybody should do that. I really do. I, I think if we could nurture people's ability to dream from the time they're a child, imagine what would be possible. And that's what's happening at a collective level, is that there's a collective dream, even though we all individually have our own, and we work within that most of the time, we're still constantly affecting the collective because there's no difference between the two. We're connected and we're all one at a very, very big level. And the collective dream is changing now, which is why there's so much shift in consciousness on the planet right now. It's also why there's so much conflict. Because the shifting of consciousness to being one of a better dream is manifesting a very large collective fear of change. And so how do we affect that? How do we, how do we move forward and affect the world around us? You know, it's not necessarily about picking up a picket sign because that angry, and, and, our, and one of our mutual teachers has always said that to us, Anne, is that it's, it creates the same kind of energy as if you were in the war yourself. That's right. That we that at this time we it doesn't serve us to be in polarity. And so, what does that mean? Doesn't you know? It doesn't serve us to be in polarity. It means that you need to you need to find out who you are at a very deep level. You need to know what belongs to you. You need to weed out the mindsets that don't belong to you. You know, we are collectively affected by the collective mindset as well as other people's mindsets. You know, very often if you have a relationship with somebody and one person's mindset has become another person's mindset, which is very often the case in a husband and wife sometimes, is that the husband's mindset kind of takes over the two or vice versa. And we have to begin to realize that it's not about other people telling us what we should do. I call it a case of the shoulds. You never should have a case of the shoulds. You should always let people just be who they are and express themselves the way they need to express them and know when they're asking for help and not, intrude, not to intrude on that because it's a very fragile energy at place and people have to understand that we're headed back to one of our original natures and that original nature is part of being a co-creator. 
And it's really something we've come very, very far removed from because we have become so absorbed and so asleep, in a sense. And so as we begin to wake up on, a, on an individual level, we do affect the collective level. And in doing so, it's creating quite a stir. And even the earth is feeling those kinds of changes because as we wake up, everything is affected by our energy. Everything. Everything is connected one way or the other. So I'm interested. To, I know that I've gone off on these tangents. Do we have any more questions? We're kind of running into our last few minutes of the show, and I was just curious if we got any more questions. No more, no more emails, just those two right now. Um, we could do a power story if you sure. want to. Sure. Why don't you talk about what your power, what they are? I okay. Um, my power stories, which we've spoken about before, are mythical tales of personal power at work. And surviving the ups and downs of work in every day, sometimes we look at them on the surface and they're frustrating, and we look at them on the mental and emotional levels. But when you look through the lens of developing your personal power at work, you see your work as a cast of characters and situations that are specially designed to challenge you and to help you learn and grow. You look at work as a place where you have very positive mirrors to look in and be able to change. And I wrote Power Stories as mythical tales to get us out of our everyday life. And they're filled with characters and situations that you may recognize. And my hope is that people will learn from them and they'll begin to understand how power in the workplace operates. Great. And where do they, where do they buy this if, they're, if they would like to? They can get it as a download or I can mail it to them as a CD on www.movingforward.net, my website. And just go to products and you'll see the power stories and you'll see an excerpt from the power stories. Oh, great. So let's go. <laughs> All right. The first one that I'd love to read to your listeners is Jane and the Apple Tree. It'll take a couple of minutes. And it begins this way. Jane sips the cappuccino in the kitchen of her new Manhattan apartment and marvels at her view across the Hudson River. Just three months ago, she graduated from college, and today she starts a new job with one of the most respected management consulting firms in New York. What a wonderful opportunity. The sky's the limit. Smiling, she finishes her coffee and thinks life couldn't be better. After her subway ride, Jane enters the lobby of her new firm. Her eyes take in the mahogany walls and luxurious furniture. The managing partner greets her and shows her to a new office. She looks around. The office is more of a closet than an office. This is not what she envisioned. She thinks, that's okay, I have to start somewhere. On her second day at work, Jane meets with her boss, Mike. He tells her she will go to Milwaukee for three months to work on a litigation research project. Jane is disappointed. She wants to be in New York where the action is. She thinks, that's okay. I'm ready to get into my work. Jane sits at her desk in Milwaukee. She and two other young associates spend eight hours a day reviewing and summarizing legal documents. It can be tiresome at times, and it's not particularly challenging. She thinks, that's okay. I still work for a prestigious firm, and I'm making great money. Jane jumps into her work. She gives her best and sets a standard of excellence. After three months, Mike calls Jane and asks her to stay on with the project for another three months. He is very pleased with the work she is doing and tells her so. Jane wants to get back to New York City and have more challenging assignments. Again, she thinks, that's okay, my boss is happy and I'm making it in a tough firm. On one of her trips to Manhattan, Jane has dinner with Cliff, a friend she went to school with. They both received offers from the firm at the same time and accepted them. 
Clips tells Jane he, too, is working on litigation research, but in the New York office. He's been assigned a mentor and is told he has a bright future with the firm. He has been named to a committee of young associates who give their views and feedback to management on various topics. Jane looks at her own situation and feels let down. She thinks, that's okay, I'll work harder. A year passes. Jane is now working in the Manhattan office. Her boss, Mike, gives her a good performance review and says she is doing excellent work on the litigation research team. During the review, Jane tells Mike she has not found a lot of challenge in her job. Mike tells her she should be patient. We all have to pay our dues and spend time in the trenches. Jane is devastated. The writing is on the wall. This job is not going to give her the opportunities she once envisioned. One Saturday afternoon, Jane visits a friend in Vermont. Sitting under an apple tree, she starts thinking about her situation at work. A gentle breeze blows through her hair. She hears someone whisper her name, Jane. She looks around, and no one is there. The breeze comes again. Jane hears, learn from the apple tree. Jane can't believe it, but the tree is talking to her. The tree says, the apples depend on nurturing from nature. They need the sun, the rain, and the soil. If the tree is not nurtured, the apples wither and fall. Is your job nurturing you? Jane is stunned by this message. To be honest, she feels like one of the brown apples on the tree. Her self-confidence and enthusiasm have faded. Her mind is not challenged, and she has lost her shine. What has happened? She realizes she has not been nurtured at work. She has put her all into her projects and is just placated by her boss. She has not been fed with challenge or variety, and the future is undefined. She stops and thinks, that's not okay. Jane decides that she will find another job where she is nurtured. Her dreams will come true. She will restore her luster and value who she is. The end. What a great message. Thank you. What a great message. And, you know, we talked about relationships tonight, too, and you can certainly apply that to relationships, you know, not just the work situation. I think that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you guys enjoyed that. And if you are interested in finding out more, we are speaking with Ann Venino. Ann is author of Leadership on Trial, Lessons from the Apprentice. And for more information about her work, you can go to her website, movingforward.net, and you will also find there all the information about her fabulous power stories. They're just fantastic, and they're short, and they're sweet, and they kind of give you an idea, well, they give you an idea of how to look at things a little differently and shift your perspective. And if you're not happy with your situations and you've lost your shine and your light, then it's time to sit and think about where you are. And, you know, very. I found it interesting that Jane would keep striving to make it better, to keep working harder at it, and to keep oh, I just have to be more and I have to be more to find happiness when that's not always necessarily the case and to have the courage to see that is really the first step. We are coming to the end of our hour and I thought it would be great if we wrapped up with perhaps a monthly coaching mantra, something that perhaps people can think about or work on uh, between now and the time you come back in September. What do you think? I think that's a great idea. I think... The mantra can be, I will engage in relationships that nurture me. Excellent. (laughs) You like that? I like that. Yes, I do, because I think that's important. And, you know, I had a friend of mine who called me recently and said, and I'll close with this tonight. I had a friend of mine who, who called me recently and says, you know, everything around me is just so dull 
my friendships are dull, my relationships are dull, my work life is dull. And she had a very strong sense of sadness running through her life. And it was like as if all the color had been taken out and everything had turned gray. And as she expressed herself and she was talking about her situation, you know, I asked her if she was still writing. Um, there was there was a time several months ago where she had decided that writing was something that she wanted to do. And she had gone out and, you know, figured out a way to do this. And she says, no, I, I kind of tucked that away and I, I really haven't done it. And I think that's very common for people. When we begin to realize what it is that we want to do, but then we second-guess it or we doubt it, and we just kind of let that go, then what happens is the universe kind of turns things dull for us because we kind of we go into a place where we're not giving it the spirit and wrapping it back up to what we were talking about with the wheel. If you're going back and forth between the daily routines of life with the emotional, the mental, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and then maybe sometimes you go down into physical, maybe you exercise or you have a physically demanding job or you have a partner or you have some kind of physical aspect and then you go back up, it kind of creates a triangle dynamic and we have to remember to feed it with spirit. We have to remember to breathe breath into our life and our dreams very often times are just what we need to bring that inspiration and light in there. So let's not forget our dreams and let's remember to nurture our relationships that are important to us, even if it means listening to a friend that may be going on and on and on about herself. Perhaps there's a part of you that wishes there was some way that you could talk about yourself and go on and on. So we have to learn to see these mirrors for what they are and to honor them and to nurture them. And, and if somebody's asking you to celebrate something with them, celebrate it. Um, and thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you, Hillary. It was great <laughs> to be here. I think it's fantastic. Don't forget, everybody, that this and all my past shows are archived for your convenience right here on bbsradio.com. Be sure to visit my website for upcoming events. There's still space on my Egypt Equinox tour coming up in March. And if you'd like more information about how to register for that, you can uh, visit my website as well on my trips page. If you'd like to schedule a reading with myself, you can also find that information there and contact me through my website. So, ultimately, I'd like to say, and close with this, we are responsible for healing our own lives. Now and then, we may need help to see what it is at the core of our being that is keeping us stuck and moving forward. Asking for help is a big lesson and often can make one feel vulnerable. Ultimately, asking for help creates a shift in and of itself, and coaching is a venue for healing, and healing is a venue for coaching, shifting your awareness to another level to see perhaps where movement is needed. However healing manifests in your life, it is important that you embrace it. One of my greatest teachers always said to me, our greatest weakness often is our greatest strength disguised. Until next time, everyone, I send you all love and light. If you'd like to join me for another hour from 8 to 9, I will be interviewing Barbara Hanclough on AchieveRadio.com. Until then, namaste.